Hey everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Creative Nature Podcast. <sighs> it's a nice Friday morning and I've just done some breath work and I feel kind of open in a way that I did yesterday after my breath work and ready to share about something that's been on my mind in my practice. I run a business podcast as well, which is called the Embodied Business Podcast, and I talked about um, embracing upper and lower limits yesterday. I talked about money, and I shared some actual numbers, which I know is a bit edgy. It certainly was edgy for me. And it's wild how much beautiful and loving feedback I got, and it really reminded me that um, it's okay to tell the truth sometimes, and I feel so lucky that I've created this really beautiful space where I get to have these kinds of conversations and I get to share kind of really without a lot of fear for repercussions or being judged and yeah, I'm really grateful for that. And it's also always really beautiful to hear back. I really want to say that if you have a moment to leave a review for the podcast or just send me a message that is um, so welcomed. And the things I want to talk to you about today are grief, pain, and pleasure as portals. And I think, <clears throat> gosh, these are things I've always been thinking about, but the pandemic and this year, the spring in particular, really crystallized some things for me or made some things clearer. Um, and so before I share, actually, I want to say, I want to give you a content note because I do actually want to speak quite graphically about a few things that I've experienced. And when I say graphic, that doesn't mean that I'm going to go into the gritty, brutal details and tell you gory things. It just means that I want to name some experiences that might be hard to hear. And I trust that you'll know if the time is right today to listen to that or if you maybe want to skip it or listen to it another time. So I'm going to touch on death, on suicide, on hospitalization, on disability, on breakups, and on sexual violence. And then part of me is like, oh my god, like everyone is going to pause here. Um, who wants to listen to that? But I think this is going to be good, you know? I think this might be good to hear if you're resourced um, and rested enough to do so. And if not, that's fine as well. I have lots of other episodes to dive into. I think what's different for me this spring as I look back at some experiences is that I have so much more time and I'm so much more grounded in my home. And I'm so much more stable in my work as well. And there's a lot of different things that have come together that I feel really grateful for. So the first thing is that I moved to Scotland three years ago and um, I I got to buy a home in 2020 and I sadly had to move uh, and sell that and buy a different home which is a small um, ground floor flat because that's more accessible to me but I know I've touched on that before especially in the episode yesterday but I really can't tell you how much it means to me to own my own home. I found it quite stressful at times to make rent and also quite hard to be at the mercy of my landlords. Home has always been something that's really important and special to me. I'm such a homebody 
And I lived in beautiful places that sadly were very expensive due to gentrifications and all kinds of other reasons. And that meant that, for example, when I lived in Brighton, I lived uh, for two years in an illegally converted garage. That was so expensive. It ate up the majority of my income and it was the only way for me to live by myself, which is what I really wanted to do. I had lived in house shares through my 20s and I loved many of those experiences a lot. But I knew it was time for me to kind of have more privacy and solitude and to work some stuff out by myself. Um, but it was hard. It was a tiny house. It was really, really small, like 12 square meters, I think. Um, I don't know what that is in feet, but it's just tiny. I had to wash my dishes in the bathroom sink. I didn't have a real kitchen. Um, I slept on this really awkward loft bed that was like right under the ceiling. <laughs> you couldn't even really reach up with your arms. Um, but it was also a beautiful nest, right? I made the most of it and I had some really good times there. But all this to say that I am... <clears throat> I'm looking out the window now, I can see the sea in the far distance and I'm just feeling so grounded and I recognize that that's a space that so much more healing can come from when we feel safe and grounded in our foundations and I really wish that for everyone. I know I say that a lot too um, but it's really important I think to recognize that it is hard to do the heavy lifting of self-reflection sometimes when you're living in a state of emergency so much of the time. Um, I also had a chance to be away for a month in the Highlands in February and March and that was because I was kind of in between homes and it played out to be really affordable because I uh, would have needed to stay somewhere anyway. I, I sold my old flat sooner than I bought my new one basically how you know the legal process is complicated but anyway so I, I stayed in this tiny um, cottage with a, with a fireplace for a month and I didn't know anyone in that region I don't have a car um, and so I had a lot of solitude and the sense of being away from ordinary life um, which is a real gift I think especially as we were entering third year of the pandemic and there was kind of this milestone and this sense of taking stock and um, getting a bit of a breathing space. And then uh, the other part that I think is important is that I'm in my eighth year in my business now and I have um, really made a point for many years to work towards freedom and the ability to work cyclically rather than growth. And what I mean by that is that I have, I've not grown for the sake of growth I've not aimed kind of for you know for making or extracting as much money or resources out of my work and my body as possible but I've aimed for um, stability and creative freedom and I now uh, after an accident I've had get to work quite a lot less because I had insurance and I'm getting a partial disability pension at the moment and again I like I recognize that as a really big privilege and I see in myself and my body that I really needed that time and it's not even that something in particular happens every day you know it's not like I take a Friday off now 
and then I sit down and I do all the specific healing work. But it's just that the overall pace that my body is operating in in the world it has really slowed down, and um, and that's such a gift. And I feel sadness for my past self rushing around so much, especially in my early twenties when I was working full time and studying full time. It's nuts. <laughs> it's totally nuts. Um, there's a lot more spaciousness in my week now, and I can meet feelings with more grace because I can wake up and just sense that this is going to be a difficult day, maybe because I'm in a lot of chronic pain or because I didn't sleep well, because I had a nightmare or there's something important to work through, and I can take it slow, and I can't always drop all my work, and I still am really committed to what I do, and I love my clients, but I just I get to be more gentle. Um, so yeah, I, I want to name kind of what I'm thinking about as losses or grief or pleasure as the portals, as the main ones in my life in the past, let's say, five years. Um, the first thing, if I go chronologically, that I would name was a sexual assault that happened four or five years ago in my home, in a tiny home in Brighton at the time. And that was really surprising and shocking and frightening. I remember something that I said in my head over and over again at the time was nowhere is safe because I had loved my home so much even if it was rented and tiny and, and ridiculous it was a place that I felt really safe and so it was really difficult to experience that in that place and unfortunately I stayed living in that house for another year because I didn't feel that I had a whole lot of other options. I wasn't ready to leave Brighton yet and I couldn't afford a studio in Brighton and I didn't want to live in a house share again and there was so that was tricky. And I think it wasn't, you know, it would have been good to have space and I also wasn't in therapy at the time. I could have made that happen for myself and and I didn't and that's okay as well. Um but I think now I've been in therapy for two and a half years. I really could just kind of see the magic of what that can do to have that space to talk to someone. Um, another thing I would say was a breakup that came not long after that, that what happened. And I think what made that difficult was maybe not so much the breakup in itself, but how deeply entangled it felt with the shame and anxiety I had internalized after the assault. And I think in a way, I probably wasn't ready to date. Um, and I did it anyway, and that's also fine. Um, but I recognized that I wasn't able to kind of own the healing I needed to do at that time, and that my anxiety and distress around those things probably have really contributed to how chaotic the breakup felt to me and how it was shaming in a way which really was not something the other person meant to do or you know had intended in any way um that's very clear to me there was a lot of kindness for sure um but i think to me the message i got at the time was you are too much you have too many feelings and that's unbearable and it's it felt shameful to me if that makes sense to be so much to want 
connection so much and intimacy and at the same time to not be able to hold kind of my end of the dynamic really well and I moved to to Scotland shortly after that which was such a gift and really that was one of the best decisions I've ever made I really love this landscape so much. I feel this deep resonance in my bones. I love the winter and how cold and dark it gets. I think especially the darkness, actually, this has been my uh, third, second, no, yeah, third winter. And the light changes so much here. I live, I would say, halfway up Scotland, if you look at the map, and Obviously, the further you go up, the more light you'll have around the summer solstice. At the moment, I never see the night sky because I go to bed before it gets dark and I wake up before it, um, the sun comes up, uh, after the sun comes up. And in the winter, it gets it begins to get dark at like 3 p.m. in the afternoon and it doesn't really get light before 9. And so you have this really short window of time to kind of enjoy daylight and you really make the most of it. And then you cuddle down and I think in your in my body there's this real sense of winter time being this really beautiful warm dark cave to go into and then summer being the polar opposite being like so open and joyful and playful and out there um another loss of course was the pandemic itself the deep uncertainty and loneliness that it brought and the worry for loved ones and then also the heaviness of seeing um, how much it, it highlighted the structural problems we always knew were there. Um, the lack of healthcare, the lack of protection, the way that marginalized people experience the brunt of the violence and the threat and the grief. Um, and yeah, I think I think in, in my life I I mm, <laughs> I think that there was like a there's there still is a constant undercurrent of grief about how little value people place on disabled lives um in really practical tangible ways you know and and feeling like how little is asked sometimes and how how little people are willing to be inconvenienced to protect someone else's life basically and how invisible that that loneliness becomes I think can be hard um last year for example I was in and out of hospital quite a lot and it was really important to me to uh, be seen and have these appointments because I was and still am in a lot of pain and I needed to continue my treatment but I was on these really long wait lists so every step of the way um you know waiting for surgery waiting for another TCT scan waiting for physiotherapy there was always a long wait list because obviously the pandemic created these big backlogs and so if I had gotten infected I would have lost my place on the wait list I would have needed to wait again and um and so I was extremely cautious and that made meant a lot of loneliness and so kind of slowly coming out of that, now I'm still really cautious. I still often have hospital appointments that I really don't want to lose, though it's not quite as urgent anymore and I am vaccinated. 
Um, yeah, it just feels sad sometimes to see how events are set up or how people navigate the world. That then means that I can't participate. Um, and I know that's complicated, right? Like I know people have had so much to deal with. And so I, I certainly am not resentful about people getting together and having a good time. That's really not what I mean. It's more like, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> anyway, I think that's all I will say about that. And I think, yeah, that, that was hard sometimes. And then I had an accident in December 20, uh, 2020. I fell at the top of my stairs. I broke my leg really badly. Um, I have a lot of metal work in my leg now and a permanent disability that limits my mobility. Um, and then being in hospital was was really stressful. I think um, I got into A&E, um, that's what emergency stuff is called here, um, and on New Year's Eve. So obviously that was like really overstretched. I had to wait outside in the... Um, in the ambulance for a really long time before I could even be seen and then you have to wear a mask and you're always seeing a lot of distress um but no one really touches you no one can come to see you everything is really stripped back which makes a lot of sense but it's very difficult when you are in shock and in so much pain and uncertain about what's happening to you um yeah, I remember um, my bones being set and that was honestly one of the, that was flat out the most painful thing I've ever experienced. I was lying on my bed under these really bright lights in this open A&E space and the doctor came around who was really kind and um, I'm going to be honest and tell you something really weird. I was crushing on him a bit in that moment. And my friend really kindly told me, yeah, you know, that's just the survival instinct. That's your, um, you know, your, uh, what did you say? What did you call it? It's kind of your relational system kicking in. That's probably true. Also, he was very cute. But anyway, <laughs> there was a nurse as well to my side and he looked at me like really looked at me in the eyes and I was like that that's gonna this is going to be really painful I'm sorry I'm gonna do it as quickly as I possibly can and he held my leg up and put his my foot on his chest so I could feel his heartbeat under the sole of my feet and he put this gas mask on my face and said breathe as deeply as you possibly can and um the nurse, nurse was kind of holding me down and he pulled my legs apart, which were so broken in so many places. And I really went into this place in my psyche I'd never been before. I did not know this much pain is possible in a human body. And then he kind of pushed them back together and then he put a cast around them. And that was already the second time I'd been given a cast and things had been moved. So it was so raw, you know, it's such a de disorienting experience to see your bones broken you know you look at your leg and it's clearly things are displaced and you are broken you cannot you know you cannot stand um and to know yeah you know you just you just have this imagination of like they could poke out of your skin and the it's just so these micro movements that happen are just so brutally painful
Um, yeah, and then I was in, in hospital for 10 days waiting for surgery and then recovering from it. And I had another one in the summer. Um, and the last thing I want to name is that I lost a friend to suicide in December last year. It was someone I really loved and lived nearby too. Uh, someone I had known for many years. Um, it was I knew that that person was struggling, but it was still a big shock to me. Um, I miss them every day, and it's is really one of the most humbling things I think I've ever experienced. And I will record another episode on that because I think it's important to talk about. But so I've named all the things now. Oh my god, we're twenty minutes in. This is really a long waffle. <laughs> So where, where I was getting at, I was wanting to name these things that have been painful and also the things that I feel so lucky to have in my life and that feel like they give me a reason to be able to process them better and, you know, where that's getting me to, basically. I also want to name a book by someone called Carolyn Elliott. Um, the book is called Existential King. I think I read that in 2020 and... I want to be honest, firstly, I don't recommend, I remember a lot of that book. And secondly, I know it really annoyed me in lots of places. And, and that's okay. I, I think I'm just saying that because it introduced me to an idea that I want to share here that feels kind of significant and important. And I really respect Carolyn Elliott. Um, I, I will link to that in the show notes, actually. Um, so to make sure that I'm not getting that wrong anyway I, I really honor her for naming something even if I maybe don't agree uh, with some of what she said there was this core there that really stayed with me through the few years after um, <clears throat> which is this idea that maybe there's a freedom or maybe it's you know it, it could be liberating to acknowledge that we're getting off of our suffering sometimes and I think there's been the largest part of my life where that statement made me really angry where I felt maybe had a sense of victim blaming um or um kind of replicating oppressive systems that I I just didn't want to hear it right and I think that's really human when you're in pain that's fine um but I do now with this more spaciousness and depth and resource really recognize that while I don't wish these experiences on myself, I certainly don't want to go through them again. I don't want to wish them on anyone else. I really value the learning I've had and the way that they've changed my life. And would I go through them again? Actually, I would say yes, because. You know, you can't go back in time and change things. I don't feel that way about losing my friend. I just want my friend back. This is way too raw. <laughs> you know, like, I just want my friend back for sure. But the accident, um, I feel more at peace with. And I feel kind of hesitation around speaking in that way about the pandemic because I don't want it to sound that I wish the suffering that people have gone through on them. Or that I think they should just suck it up and live with it, you know, or learn from it or whatever. That's really not what I mean. I've been lucky enough to have a hard time that was meaningful in the end. Um, and I didn't die. <laughs> so 
so there's that. <clears throat> but I think、um, there was a time in the Highlands in in the beginning of the year where I felt so overwhelmed by these levels of trauma. I felt like these waves had washed over me over the years, like experiencing the sense of abandonment and violation in my body, and then feeling this shame. And then being alone with those feelings for so long in the pandemic, really missing intimacy and connection, and then having this accident and my body changing in this big way, and then losing my friend, that I just felt so raw and open. And then the war happened, <laughs> and there was this one Friday I remember where there had been something happening at、um, the. Nuclear reactor, I think, in Chernobyl, and I was really frightened. And there was half an hour that morning where it was reported something had happened, but it wasn't clear what it was, and it wasn't clear that there was no radiation leaking. And I think that was a morning where I really spiraled into the darkest parts of my fear of war and dying in that way. My grandmother. Was a toddler in the Second World War, and she had to flee Russian invasion in the Ukraine, and so that's a story that like often stayed with me as a kid,、um, and was retold. And I just really felt it in my bones, and I felt like there was nowhere else to go but deeper into this existential fear I had. <clears throat> There was really no kind of like going on a walk or changing, you know, changing the subject on my mind.、Um, that was just not possible, and I,、um, I kind of had this sense of real surrender. I was like, okay, you know, maybe I just really need to work with that fear. What would it mean to die now in this way?、Um, what would I do if there was a nuclear attack near me? How can I continue to exist? Being present with this amount of suffering because that is the reality of a lot of people right now, and there's not much I could directly do for them. And how am I continuously alive to the new cycle as well? Right, like this is new to our brains. We've not been made for this assault of horror <laughs> on ourselves every day. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, I meditated a lot. I was in some psychedelic situations. I journaled a lot. I went to the river、um, every morning to just sit at the river and see that that was still there and it had been there for thousands of years and so beautiful and soothing. And I I felt like I was beginning to have these moments of feeling really peaceful and kind of grounded and feeling like I'm so. Ready to die, if that's what it is. But at the same time, I feel so committed to being alive, and so committed to, you know, aggressively being here and telling the tales and and having and experiencing as much joy and pleasure with other people as I possibly can. But really confronting the fear of death at the same time, because I think ultimately, that's what all these experiences come down to, right? Like. I think if I really unpack that fear of war or fear of losing my home, 
it is always fear of death and it shows up in other ways of like what happens if I'm abandoned in this way what if I may never make money again what if I you know um what if I lose my work it is ultimately so existential and so this idea from the book existential king of looking at that maybe from like a power play perspective digging into my own experiences of king um and thinking about the sweetness of surrender um, of just accepting what it is and seeing what pleasure is inside there and what learning and um and kind of you know getting to love the softness that those experiences give us and the inside and the humanness i think i connect in the deepest most pleasurable most beautiful way with people who share some of my experiences that are more gritty or darker and i know why that makes sense right um so yeah that's that's feeling beautiful and, and this morning in the breathwork that i did um i was like again feeling kind of fear coming up and thinking about what that meant and I don't always live in that truth. I want that to be very clear. I am clearly sometimes anxious and nervous and restless and all those things. But in my breathwork this morning, I felt like, what I what do I have to be afraid of if I know that I can, you know, there's nothing that someone can do to my body that makes me lose the divinity of being alive in a human body at this time. Or that makes me any less beautiful or worthy or lovable and there's nothing really to be afraid in death because I don't know what it exactly will happen but I trust that there's a bigger picture here I've yet to experience and I feel quite content with the not knowing that is okay to me um, but I have a lot of faith that's really hard one about cycles and things coming back and that feels helpful to me and I think in my eco anxiety for example it is overwhelming sometimes I'm thinking a lot about the sea levels outside my window um, and just the grief of losing species and those things never coming back and kind of navigating the hopefulness of the developments and good things that do happen as well but also the ignorance and the catastrophes and, and being with that. And yeah, in those peaceful moments, I'm like, yeah, like that, that shows me how much I love this planet, how much I love this landscape, how much I want the beautiful things we have to continue. And like what a joy to feel that aliveness because I have had years in my life of feeling so much more numb and so unable to see the beauty and abundance that is right here because I was so engaged with the busyness of life under capitalism but not yet touched by grief in a way that forced me to really look at what that meant to be alive right now so yeah like looking back at those last few years now it feels like each of those experiences has has been like a portal in its own way and has really changed me and I feel so lucky that I had the capacity to let those things change me that certainly doesn't mean that I'm perfect or 
any wiser necessarily than you are. <clears throat> There's so much I have yet to experience, so many identities I don't hold and, you know, experiences I will never fully understand that I just need to sit down and listen to. Um, but these are mine. I wanted to share them with you. And I also want to say that if you feel angry or resentful hearing this, I, that's really okay. I've been in that place so often in my 20s where someone would tell the story of what they've been through and what they learned from it. And I would just roll my eyes and be like, fuck this shit. They clearly can only feel this sense of closure and peace because they are privileged in these ways that I'm not. And so I'll never be there. Um, and that makes me angry. I think that's fine. <laughs> I feel peaceful enough in myself to feel okay about those projections. I think that's totally human. And if I am saying things that upset you, of course I want to hear that. I want to know how I can do better. Um, but also I can only share my truth as it currently is, right? Um, yeah, thank you for listening to this oh actually there's a few more things that i wanted to say i i feel like and maybe this is like really weird and nerdy trauma stuff <laughs> that, that no one has any interest in hearing about i don't know you know but there were some practical things around what happened that i wish i had known and that i now wish more people knew for example when i heard about my friend dying i remember that conversation obviously like yesterday I know exactly where I was. I, I was in Rose Street with my two dogs outside. It was winter. It was really dark. And I remember seeing my friend calling. And I that, that friend, I really love them a lot, but they don't call me very often. So it was very, I knew something bad was up. <clears throat> but I imagined that I would go see my friend that night, the friend that died. So I saw this call and I thought, I think I'm getting this call because this friend has an emergency and I need to go help them. And I picked up the phone and my friend said, Francis is dead. And I said, no. <laughs> um, and I sat down on the street and I cried and I went home and I called some other friends. And weirdly, I facilitated a class that night, which was a real strange shock response. I felt like I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't know what to say to cancel. And, and I felt avoidant to, to cancel kind of until the start, I, until I had to be on Zoom. So I was there and I told people what happened and I cried and we just did the class together. And that was actually okay. I think it was just what I needed. But the following week, I spent in such shock. Like I felt like every, everything was covered in snow and there was just white noise. And I was barely sleeping, but also not doing very much. And I was kind of eating, but not really. And I remember people checking on me and trying to get me on Zoom calls. And I was kind of there, but not really, right? And then Christmas came up and I had planned to spend Christmas with Francis who died, <laughs> um, which was very hard. And I had other invitations, but I decided to stay home by myself. And that, that felt like to me the best way 
of honoring what that happened. There was just no way I was going to pretend that it's Christmas and I wanted to celebrate that or even eat nice food, you know. But I took up crochet and I started really slowly stitching at Christmas, which was about a week later. And I've been stitching really slowly ever since. I've also been playing Candy Crush, by the way. I'm at level 1,107 right now, I think. And it's kind of weirdly how I measure time and grief because, yeah, like getting to level 1,000 kind of felt like a milestone. And of course, it's a weird way of checking out, but it feels comforting. And I know that I'm engaged with my grief and I do things that are, you know, moving me through it and I also play Candy Crush. I was also in a six-week group um, for people who have experienced suicide loss and it was really interesting, it was exhausting a lot of the time, it was also really interesting to hear about these different experiences and to be in this group of really raw people who are in a lot of pain, to be human together in the best way we could on Zoom. So I think that was the first time I really opened myself to like a support group. I've never done that before. And I might do that again. Yeah, if you're curious, <laughs> I think I would recommend that if it's the right time for you and it feels safe to do so. Um, but really kind of what I'm trying to say is like before this happened, before the accident is why I almost imagined that if something like that would happen and you got those news, you would just howl and howl and you would just stop existing and you wouldn't be able to eat or sleep or ever come back to yourself or ever love again or ever find something funny. And I know it's a cliche thing to say and I know we've all read books where people experience horrible things and then they laugh again and it's fine. But I needed to experience that in my body and I wish... I had had that trust before those things happened, you know. I think also with the pain in the hospital where my bones were set, I think I was living my life before this with a lot of fear of having an accident. Like, obviously, everyone is scared of a car accident. We probably all have had these moments where you step on a road and you thought you had looked left and right, but you hadn't really, and someone is coming around the corner really fast, and you have this split second of, like, shit, this could really hit me. Um. And we just realize, you know, like how vulnerable these little human bodies are. And yeah, like I said, before this happened, I imagined that if you had a car accident or something really bad happened to your body, the pain would be so overwhelming that a part of you would die. And maybe that is someone's experience. That I don't know. I can only speak for myself. But I just found it so interesting what actually happens that you you really get overwhelmed and consumed by the pain of a moment like that, but you do then come back to yourself. And there is a, there are these beautiful mechanisms in our bodies that stop us from experiencing the full impact immediately because we are in shock and our brains regulate kind of how much we can take at any given point in time. And that's such a grace. I'm really grateful, you know, all all the ways in which for years I've been maybe resentful of my brain being anxious or depressed or traumatized or whatever. I now see so much beauty in these mechanisms that tell me, you know, something isn't quite right. This doesn't feel good or this is simply too much to really be present to right now. I'm going to 
shut this whole thing down for a week and then we'll see what's next. So yeah, I don't know if this is weird to hear or helpful, but I hope that maybe we can like, you know, trust ourselves and our bodies and our responses a little bit more. That would be beautiful. All right, this was a heavy one, 40 minutes. Thank you so much for listening. Felt really good for me to get that off my chest. Yeah, I do feel really hopeful about a lot of things. I want that to be known. <laughs> and I feel, yeah, quite joyful in the grief um, and all the things. Thank you again. Bye.